0: You can find it on the G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gauton and Jimmy
1: Kemsky.
2: <laughs> what's going on everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 164. With me, as always, is Brandon Lee Gowden of Nation.com. I'm Jimmy Kempsky from Philly Voice, and we have a special guest for this episode. It's Dan Klausner, former Philadelphia Eagles intern and current director of sales and business development for RighteousFelon.com. Gentlemen,
1: how you doing?
3: I'm good. Thanks, Jimmy. I don't know. <laughs> Brandon wanted to go first. <laughs> Appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Did you say I'm part of this? I don't know. I did, yes. No, no, Steve, no. You're, you're, the, you're uh, the guest. I mentioned okay. you first. I wasn't even listening. Um, <laughs> good start here on BGN radio episode uh what was it? I forget that one sixty four. One sixty-four. Really honored to have Dan on here. Not only, you know, a like direct representative from Rights Felon, Craft Turkey, which you obviously can get by going to RighteousFelon.com and using discount code BGN fifteen for fifteen percent off. And uh Dan you basically might as well do the ad read later in the show. But um but yeah, also honored to have Dan on because of his workings with the Eagles and his interactions. Is that fair to say? You've interacted with Howie Rose before, right?
3: Yeah. I've been in his office. Uh, we even have emailed. Uh I gotta you know, I know he's demonized a lot and I'm certainly hope he never reads any of my tweets, but uh he is he is he is at least like a really solid dude. Uh gave me the time of day at a point where I thought I might, you know, want to have a similar career path. So I got nothing but um Good things to say on that end. Um, Strictly, you know, divorcing the personal from the uh, professional, current professional opinion. So, what year were you there again? 2013. It was the Chip Kelly year. Okay. The first Chip
2: Kelly year. For some reason, I thought it was the last one. So, you got to see his actual office, not the one that, not the bunker that they sent him off (laughs) to. Yeah. I got to see
3: his office, the one that he probably still maintains now. Uh, Yeah. The GM office. The one
2: that faces the
1: practice field.
3: Correct. Yep. With a nice balcony. Oh, Yes. yes.
1: All right. So a lot to get to. The Eagles fired their head coach. Yeah.
3: Well, I <laughs> want to talk about, about uh, James Harden first and the Flyers. Uh, yeah. The season. No.
1: Yeah. Really get into that. Uh, the <laughs> hot topics. Um, Jimmy, I'm looking at your show sheet here. I mean, we, let's just get into it. There's a lot to talk to uh, talk about on this episode. Obviously, uh, Doug Peterson fired. Was it the right call? Danny. Um, Dan,
3: lead, lead um us off you guys are, you guys are so polite. Let the guests go first. Uh, it's a tough it's a tough question because like yeah if 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 he really only wanted to hire or promote press taylor and matt burke or cory undlin and make no other changes to his staff then i don't really you know he was just going to get fired in a year anyway uh because things were going to be terrible again uh but at the same time it's just you know he has been scapegoated for for the failures of a, a yeah of a dysfunctional organization and uh you know i don't know it kind of just feels like a culmination of five years of jerking this guy around and you know it's a like it's nuanced like anything else in life but uh did he deserve to get fired Jeffrey Lurie said he didn't but you know it's hard to it's hard to side with him if those were his his decisions for coaching and and how he thought the team was going to get fixed um so yeah there's my non-answer answer for you
2: yeah, but I think that's the right one. Like, like if you wanted to promote Press Taylor to offensive coordinator, when, I mean, you look at what Press Taylor did last year, he was the quarterback's coach, and we saw uh, the starting quarterback have a historic regression. And then his, his other title was passing game coordinator. And the Eagles' passing offense, like their running game was fine. Their passing offense was, if not the worst, only – slightly better than the Jets this season. So, I mean, he failed on both of those levels pretty drastically. So there was, I mean, there's no way that they could have sold the idea of promoting Press Taylor to offensive coordinator. And if that was, I mean, the problem with Doug from a picking his coaching staff standpoint is that he has only ever coached either for the Eagles or under Andy Reid. So. Anyone that he's ever worked with, the Eagles already know that those people very well. So he wasn't going to bring anything to the table uh, in terms of like some kind of inspired idea for bringing aboard assistance to his staff. Um, and I mean, it's not a strength of his, and they kind of know that. Uh, if he was just kind of uh, banging the table and saying, <laughs> you know, this is my guy, and if you don't like it, then fire me. And maybe that's what happened, but uh, certainly they could not go into the season with his suggestions of Press Taylor as the offensive coordinator and Corey Allen as the defensive coordinator.
1: The Speaking proposed, of Press Taylor,
3: hold on. Happy birthday. Happy 33rd birthday today. <laughs> uh,
1: the, the proposed changes obviously weren't very inspiring. Um, I mean, everyone agrees on that. With that said, I think I can understand where Doug's coming from, though. I mean, he had changes forced on him last year, yeah. and that didn't work out so well either. So like I get it. and also he should feel like he deserves clout. I mean he won a Super Bowl like he should he should get some say. he should have power in theory. I thought the Eagles should have done one of two things and that was either smoke the pack as we talked about in last week's episode, mm-hmm. kind of like keep Doug and Howie, give him one last year, see how it plays out or clean house and get rid of both. I the half measure of getting rid of Doug and not maybe in terms of words saying that he deserved to be fired. Uh, like Larry said. Uh, but in terms of action, putting the blame on everything that's gone wrong for this team on him, uh, that doesn't sit well with me. And I think that's pretty pathetic. Uh, I think it's pathetic how they leaked out those uh, proposed changes to kind of grease the skids for fan reaction. Oh, and they certainly oh. did that, too. Oh, yeah. Of course. Well, who else knew? Who, would else, who else knows that? Like, who else <laughs> right. knows of the conversation? So, well,
2: they also, uh, I mean, they needed to hear have the fan base hear why they yes. fired him
3: and so that the right. fan base could digest that and go, oh, yeah, well, he had to go. That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, was, so uh, well, I don't know if you guys saw, but Mike Lombardi, who I know it's yeah, you know, like a curse word, but he talked about how that's like NFL PR black ops or something. It's like what the Eagles did is kind of putting out that that information that grease the skids and how, yeah, it's dirty pool, but every organization does it because they know they have to win the fan PR game. So, so,
2: so looking what does it mean? forward? Yeah, looking forward. What you know? What does that mean for? Uh, I mean the big the, the big thing coming out of the Doug firing is is what's gonna happen now with Carson Wentz. Um it was reported by Chris Mortenson and Tim McManus. Uh or I th- maybe I think that was only just Mort that uh there was a fracture between the relationship with Doug and Carson. So with uh Doug now gone, I mean logically <laughs> Carson Wentz is more likely uh, to be on the team in 2021. Um, how do you guys see it in terms of, we'll get to like what we think they should do,
3: but what do you think they will do? I don't know. It kind of feels pretty disastrous. Like I was all ready for, for Doug, yeah, for, to like be riding with Doug, trade Wentz, have, you know, take your medicine this year, have cap space to kind of reset in 2022. But now it kind of feels like, you know, they're, main objective with whoever this new coach is going to be like, we already have this franchise quarterback who you have to fix, by the way. And we're going to, yeah, you get two years to do it because, you know, if they guarantee his money this year, they're going to keep him again for next year. So I don't know. It feels like even bleaker now um, about that situation. <laughs> it
0: does.
3: <laughs> right? Like it, it's – I at least kind of felt good about like thinking, I think they do need to move on from when see what they can get for them, clear that caps, kind of get out from under it before they have to, you know, assume all that money or all that cap space and kind of just hit that reset button before it actually starts. But now it seems like they actually just, you know, like they're going to make this a two-year process instead of a one-year of kind of ripping off this Band-Aid. So, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll, you know, the new coach, they'll, they'll have input and he'll be able to, you know, he'll be able to kind of give his decision on what he wants to do. But I think a big part of that is going to be like, hey, we need you to fix this guy who we've paid $60 million and committed the whole franchise to.
1: Brandon? I don't think the decision to fire Doug came down to Carson versus Doug. uh, But I also don't think it's totally irrelevant. When you look at the timeline of that report that came out on Saturday, originally that Doug would be back. And then the Sunday that Wentz wanted out and wanted to be traded. And then the report from Rob Motti about how like Wentz is actually taking his time to consider it. And all of a sudden uh, catch wind later in the week that Doug is actually going to be fired. And all of a sudden, on the day that Doug gets fired, after he gets fired, it comes out that Wentz is like, there's a you know increased chance that he wants to be back now. So I don't, I don't think it was irrelevant. I don't think, you know, Wentz wanted to be here if Doug was here. Now, I also don't know that the Eagles are really basing everything moving forward about Wentz, because when you look at the tone of these press conferences we've heard with with Howie, putting even like the hand comment aside, like a finger, or whatever he said about, like, I can't imagine being, you know, detached from Carson Wentz. But I mean, I thought Jeffrey Lurie was less effusive of Carson Wentz uh, in his presser, uh, not closing the door in the possibility. But I just, I don't know, like a hundred percent chance that Wentz is back. Um, I, I would think the organization wants to try to fix him, um, especially if a new head coach comes in and really believes in him. But I, just, I just think it's so naive. I really think it's very—I've been saying it for a while—it's very naive to think that Carson Wentz. You just bring in a new coach and that fixes everything. I think he needs to prove to be coachable. I think he needs to fix himself in a lot of ways. When you look at how Josh Allen got better in the off season, it was because he put a, like, a lot of work into like realizing he needed to fix his mechanics and everything. And I just don't know like where Carson Wentz is at with that. Did you see the Damo thing? The thing that uh, Paul of
2: the Inquirer put out about uh, Troy, Aikman. Troy Aikman going on, uh, I believe it was Michael, Michael Urban's Urban. podcast in which uh, Aikman said he talked to Doug and he framed like what he said as sort of his own opinion after having talked to Doug. But he said that uh, uh, Laurie Laurie essentially wanted Wentz to stay and uh, Doug wanted to move forward with Jalen Hurts. So I thought that was interesting. Um, And also from just from Laurie's perspective, and we've talked about, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast or if, I've just written it, but uh, I've definitely written it. But like if you're Jeffrey Lurie, you've already paid Carson Wentz $56 million over the last year and a half cash. So when we talk about like sunk cost and, you know, what he's going to count against the cap um, and, you know, the the troubles in, in that regard and, you know, what's the cap situation going to be in 2021 and 2022 and so on. And none of us have put about any actual cash. To Carson Wentz, when you pay a guy fifty-six million dollars, it's a lot harder to to think in terms of "quote unquote" sunk cost uh, as it is when it's not actually your money. So uh, there was one point during Jeffrey Lurie's uh, uh, press conference, and we'll get to this later, but um, just mention it now because it's relevant. Where Jeffrey Lurie said, "That's not a decision that an owner should ever make." You know, in terms of well, Carson Wentz to McManus, I believe, was the one who asked. Uh, just flat out, well, is Carson Wentz going to be your quarterback? Will he be on the team in uh, 2021? And he said that's not a decision an owner should make, which is just a pile of crap. Like, of course, <laughs> Jeffrey Lurie is going to make that decision. Like, he's going to be the primary person that makes that decision. Or at least they're going to have to go through him to get the okay uh, to trade him or do whatever they're going to do with him. So uh, that's a load of crap, obviously. But uh, I did think that that uh, Troy Aikman thing uh, was sort of interesting in that uh, – he, he cited that as uh, the reason for them parting ways more so than uh, Doug Peterson's choice of offensive and defensive coordinators.
3: And I, I was going to say, I thought, you know, with Laurie talking, you know, not using the R word for like rebuild, but retool and kind of talking about needing to accumulate picks and talent. Uh, I mean, who on the roster could get you the most picks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In, in turn, clear cap space. I mean, yeah. if that's you know, if he's he's your best trade. He referred to him as an asset too. He's your best trade ship too. If you are really going to be going in with this rebuild and trying to accumulate as many draft picks and get as many bites at the uh, draft apple uh, as possible, so it's another. I think it's another way to kind of look at it too. He
2: said he's an asset.
3: Several times,
2: times <laughs> during that press conference, which yeah. is kind of a funny thing to do. Like, talking, I mean, we do that as fans and, and whatever, but like, when you're actually talking about people and you're the owner of the team, like, not a word you should probably use. Where's the,
1: uh, where's the emotional <laughs> intelligence, Jeff? Um, so, what what would we do at the quarterback position? Uh, like, you know, dovetailing off what we're talking about with Wentz. I'm still of the mind, ideally, that. Yeah, I think I'd still like to trade him just because, like, I don't want to commit to Carson Wentz for two more years. Yeah. That's the decision. It's zero years or two more years. I don't want to go two more years. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that's the path to go down, especially if it's going to be a rebuild truly. Then, yeah, like Dan said, what could get you the most assets? Does Carson Wentz's timeline even make sense for this team? Like, if they're going to go into a rebuild, because, like, how long is it going to take to quote unquote fix him if that's even possible? Um, I'm still of the mind that. Carson Wentz should be traded. Uh, and then you move forward with Hertz. It's not like you're committing to him as the guy, but like he's kind of here. So you're gonna see what you can do with him. And then I guess you have to draft someone. I don't there's no good answer here, right? Yeah, I guess. Well, how, what would you do in terms like if you were to
2: choose a combo of um keeper trade Wentz? You already said you would trade him, but also keep or trade Hertz. And either draft or don't draft a quarterback specifically with your sixth overall pick. What would your combo of those three things be?
1: I don't know what you mean. What do you So okay,
2: so you have you have to make a, a decision on each of those three things. So one, keep or trade wins. Two, keep or trade hurts. Three, draft or don't draft a quarterback with the sixth overall
1: pick. I would say trade Wentz. Mm-hmm. I would say keep Hurts, and it kind of it depends how the board shakes out at six. But I'd be open to drafting a quarterback. Okay, Dan.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. It all like anything else. It all depends on who's there at six. I mean, hey, the players you want might get taken before, and then you know, then all of a sudden <laughs> you can't draft anybody who's good. You know, you have to. Okay. Position. You know, I I think I'm I'm of the opinion that I really think you need to press the hard. Re- I know Jeffrey Laurie wants to consider when says Peyton Manning or Big Ben who by the way in their fourth fourth or fifth years did have <laughs> i went back and looked at did it, you look it up? They, i did i did yeah okay. i think i think Big Ben had like 16 touchdowns and 14 picks and and uh Peyton had 20 something 23 touchdowns and like 17 interceptions don't quote me on anything, but he was right because obviously they looked it up to like in desperation of seeing like oh my god has this ever happened to any young stud <laughs> yeah. quarterback before but like Again, exception versus rule, and it's just like hope is not a strategy, as as they like to say, and uh, it's just really hard. I think you have to, you know, you got to make a really hard decision here about whether you're going to rip the bandaid off and look two, three years down the road, or if you're kind of, you know, if you're really going to try to make this work for the next two years, when your situation, cap wise, talent wise, it's, I mean, I think you have a very, very low likelihood of making it work.
2: You know what's funny about the him bringing up Manning and Roethlisberger is that even though Roethlisberger is still playing, it's it was still kind of a different era of football. Like oh, yeah. earlier in his career, when he was four, when he was in his fourth or fifth year, like Larry even said during his press conference that I think even I think it was even during the opening. I'm not sure, but he said um, uh, this was a year where like it was record breaking in terms of offensive production, and he cited that. They didn't call offensive holding anymore. They didn't call offensive pass interference anymore. So you're just getting away with anything you wanted to do as a receiver or an offensive lineman. And that, you know, led to crazy numbers, you know, league wide, but it obviously did not, uh, for, for the Eagles in any way. So like the idea that like he just kind of cherry picked, uh, those two quarterbacks from, I mean, what's that like 15 years ago for you know, roughly 15 years ago for, maybe a little less for Ben Roethlisberger. and I don't know would you do you, what what, what was manning like he was 2002, drafted what like
3: two I guess that would have been yeah something
2: like that yeah yeah he was drafted pre McNabb so he was drafted in 98 okay so yeah it was in roughly 2002 then so <laughs> like oddly different era of football um, uh, it's not that far away, but it's funny that the cherry picked those two guys when the reality is like, that's not really happening in the modern NFL where quarterbacks are having this, I mean, and not even just a regression, but just one of the worst regressions in, in NFL history that Wentz had this past off season or this So what would you
1: do? What would you do? Can you yeah. So I
2: would, you tra- would trade Wentz. Like you mentioned, and I'll just quickly mention it here again if you commit, like if you keep him this year, you're committing to, to 2022 and I'll just go through the, uh, the, I guess the the dynamics of that. Like, so they have the, uh, his guaranteed salary in this year, this year, like they're, they're, they, they can trade that away, but they also have a $10 million uh, bonus that he's doing the third day of the league year. So if they get to that point in the uh, off season where they have to pay that bonus, that bonus also triggers a guaranteed salary in 2022, I think of like $24 million. So if they pay that bonus, they, they're locked into him in 2022. And you know if he plays well in 2021, then you're fine with it. But if he doesn't play well in 2021, then nobody's going to trade for him at that point. Like you're not going to get anything for him if he has two consecutive bad seasons. So it really is kind of risky. It's riskier to keep him, in my opinion, than it is to trade him. because if you trade him, I mean, if he's good somewhere else, then whatever, who cares? Like it's 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 not like it's not your like it's not your team. So what do you care? But you're going to get assets back in return uh, if you trade him. Ideally, maybe you get like a two in 2022 that can become a one, like if the trading team makes the playoffs plus Wentz starts X number of games or something like that, and then you tack on some kind of like mid level pick in 2021 i think that's a deal that could maybe make sense but i think if you can get that you do it and you just get them off your books for 2022 and you move on
3: yeah it's a year what? early rather than a year late i think yes too <laughs> really got to make that
1: move so why don't we take a break here and we'll get into jeffrey larry's press conference after this but so dan <laughs> first i want you to tell me about <laughs> right to Sell and craft jerky
3: oh man i don't even know anything about this company uh um, <laughs> Uh, anyway, BGN Radio is brought to you by Righteous Felon Craft Jerky. Eat the meat snacks that your Philadelphia Eagles do or don't if you really hated this season, I guess. But you can support a local business. Um, you know, We're based out in Westchester. We locally source uh, our, our beef from uh, northern Maryland, actually Baltimore County. So we're, we're Ravens fans, not Eagles fans. But, uh, yeah, we've been around since 2012. Um, I joined the business in 2000. Seventeen, um, and actually, I know I, Brendan. It's been cool that you've been uh, talking about like the other snacks that we have um, that aren't Righteous felon So we uh, we also act as a distributor for um, you know other small uh, specialty snack brands. But um, I run that side of the business. It's the side of the business that I that I've built up and I maintain. In addition to my uh, my responsibilities with Righteous felon working with distributors and. And reps across the country, different supermarkets, um, and uh, you know it's been pretty cool. At least like for me, full circle. We work with um, a lot of sports teams, providing snacks for the players uh, in all four of pro sports leagues. We work with um, luxury uh, hotels, kind of remaking their mini bars. We work with universities. Uh, Pre-COVID, we work with a lot of office build- buildings, so like your Googles and Facebooks and Yelps of the world. So, uh, so yeah. But uh, but anyway, the jerky itself. Um, you know, we're based out in Westchester top quality Black Angus uh, beef. We manufacture locally as well. It's about a 200-mile loop between sourcing, manufacturing, and warehousing. And, um, you know, we try to have fun with the brand, pay homage to pop culture, don't take ourselves so seriously. And, uh, you know, as Brandon likes to say, elevate uh, the meat snack game. And uh, we just actually came out with Biltong. I don't know if you guys know what Biltong is, but it's uh, air-dried beef. It's like a uh, South African form of jerky. So think about like really thin beef almost like pastrami cut, but there's no sugar and it's basically like double the protein too. So it's pretty cool. We have three new ones. There's Darth Garlic, Anchovia, and Nelson Mandela, which is a garlic dill one. So, there's my pitch. What was uh, the first I, one? Uh Darth Garlic. Okay. okay. I, there's really nothing else to do. I, it was originally like Dark Garlic. And I said that's stu- stu- Super lame, want to just call it Darth Garlic or something. And that's that stuck. So that's part of the legacy. But, uh, but yeah, definitely don't go and buy it on Amazon and get, leave us a five star review. Definitely don't do that. So, um, anyway, that, that's it. You guys can go to go to break.
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just say you go to right to sell and use discount yeah. code B15 for 15% off. Uh, oh, Jimmy? Yeah. And I want to,
3: oh, that actually reminds me. Um, you know, it's, it's been pretty cool when I brought this uh, idea up to Brandon. We've talked about it in years past, but he um, was nice enough to do it. Um, we paid him handsomely for it, so, you know, it's not completely altruistic. But uh, the BGN15 discount code has resulted in actually over $10,000 worth of, uh, of orders on our site, which is um, which is really cool. Um, been a huge success. Really appreciate all the support. Got a lot of multiple buyers. you like, you know, multi-time buyers, too, like our boy Rich Bobby. Also, shout out Evan Calico uh or yeah kill a cow on twitter i know i see that he uh, orders a bunch too so really appreciate everybody's support um and uh, i hope you found a new favorite meat snack brand in the process jimmy back after this
0: what does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape this is scott galloway host of the ProfG podcast and an entrepreneur myself
1: Uh hopefully you're still with us after Dan <laughs> gave this field about I, right I, to I, I spot. <laughs> It was important to know. It's important look, the listeners deserve to hear from the source. Now let's get into Jeffrey Larry's press conference because Jimmy described it here in the show notes as a <laughs> oh, disaster throughout.
2: <laughs> well, there okay, so I do have one bullet point, like the positive points that he made. And uh the one positive I, have, I i came up with one thing and that's that he was the, the team is committed to the long term and the medium term which they don't really have any other choice like they kind of have to they like i guess they could run it back in theory with what they have and just continue to kick the can down the road but uh i think they finally see after a 411 and one uh season that it's time to you know it's t- it's it's time to not move forward with these guys anymore and uh commit to the long term as opposed to the short term. they've kind of said that in the past before where they want to make a lot yeah, of picks, yeah. they want to make draft picks in bulk and then they just didn't do it. They wound up like making 10 picks over two years, which was the lowest number of picks uh, in the NFL in what would that have been Tw- uh, 2018 2019? And, um, and like they, so it was just the, the exact opposite of what they said so we'll see if they actually commit to that. but that was the one positive takeaway that I took from the uh, Lori press conference. Did you take anything else away from that press conference that was good? Or was it all just,
1: did you agree? Otherwise it was a complete dis- disaster. Do you agree with it that, that that's a positive too, by the way? I don't agree it's a positive until we see it happen. <laughs> they have said the same messaging. Maybe yeah. to maybe not to this extent you could argue, but like I'm just not going to believe it until I see it. <laughs> yeah. I, he did I, say I, it repeatedly throughout. I just don't think they have much choice
3: at this point. With, <laughs> right. with With the – corner they've paid them themselves into. Like, even if they wanted to, I mean, I guess they can can keep restructure. I don't know, like, details and stuff. I'm sure they could keep restructuring and do some cat magic. But, like, what are you doing it for so you can extend more 30-plus-year-old players who are on the back nine of their career and just so that you can pay them more as they're breaking down and then five years after they've broken down and are no longer on the team? I mean, it's just, you know, it's the Cowboys stuff that we always used to ridicule yes. them for forever. And they've become – bad version of the Cowboys and they're gonna you know meet the same they've kind of met the same demise and you know it's it's hard to divorce the sentimentality and what you feel like trying to win again with these players and this core with a number of Eagles Hall of Famers but like you know these are also supposed to be cold hard businessmen who have made hard business decisions in the past and you know I think that this I got to give credit to a lot of Philly Butte writers, too, who kind of saw this, not just Brand, Brandon or anything, who kind of saw this disaster season coming, didn't want to kind of lean fully into it. But that was kind of the undertone, even in training, like leading up to training camp, throughout training camp. It was just like, the bottom's good. Like, you know, they got lucky the last two years being in terrible divisions. They were five and seven. It's not like the process was good. They, and just like the bottom's going to fall out. It's a very precarious situation. And it did. And I think that, you know, at least Jeffrey Laurie understood it because i mean there's there's only so much delusion and denial you can you can do like you know he's watching the same thing we are so um and he sees what the book's like he's got to see what the what the talent on the roster is like and yet you know you're just you're looking at either hitting reset and having a chance maybe in two or three years or trying to make this thing work and really screwing yourself maybe for four or five years
2: you know they're actually worse off than the cowboys were when they were kicking (laughs) the game down the road repeatedly like they at least had an out. They they had a, they had cut like a bunch of good players just to get back under the cap, like they, DeMarcus Ware being one of them. Uh, the Eagles can't even do that. Like they they're actually you are going to see some restructures coming down the pat coming down the pike, in, like late February ish. They're going to restructure older players that they shouldn't be. It's going to look weird when they do it, but they don't have a choice because they have to kick some of the money from twenty twenty one into twenty twenty two. So you are going to see, see guys like. Uh, Brandon Graham, for example, Darius Slay get these restructured deals where they're committing to them for like two, three years down the line because they really don't have a choice. They have to do it just to get back under the cap. So they're even worse off than the Cowboys in that the Cowboys could at least cut some players and not have to continue to wreck your cap, you know, not only in the in, in, in Eagles' case, 2021, but even further down the line. Um, so anyway, let's move on. The absurd <laughs> moments from this press conference. And let's just start with the most important one. And I'll let Brandon uh, take it away here. But there is no accountability whatsoever for Howie Rosen, like at all, like not even a hint of like a Lori acknowledging that he's done a bad job over the last three years.
1: Back when uh, Doug Peterson was hired at his press conference in 2016, and, and there was question over the time, you know, what, how his role was going to be because he was coming back into personnel at the time. Larry talked about like personnel being like the highest or I will hold, you know, the personnel people like to the highest uh, standard accountability—the most important thing—and just none, no, none, not even the smidge for Howie Roseman. It is totally pathetic. It's so uninspiring. Um, that is a huge issue. I think why the press conference felt so bad. I um, I honestly just felt like I was listening to Howie Roseman's press conference from last week all over again. It's like the same talking point. Yes, just, they, were. they were the 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 article right, I right wrote, off the bat. Sorry, like the first thing we'll we'll get to this in a minute. But the
2: first thing he said was. The like the Alshon Jeffrey drop away from being in the oh NFC Championship, which is basically how. By the way, they're throwing Alshon under the bus by him, like, that repeatedly. Yeah. But like, how he just said the same. Like, and I wrote an article on it. Like, stop gaslighting fans about like this nonsense that they're good. less. anyway, continue on,
3: Brendan. Well, hold, on. Uh, hard hold hard. on. Drew Brees was going to drive. Even if they did score, I mean, there, yeah. there, was, there was over a minute more than over a minute left. Drew Brees was going <laughs> to been carving them up the whole game. Of course, he's going to drive down for an easy field goal, just like we lost to the, the, you know, to the Saints in that Chip Kelly game in the playoffs. Like it's just, it's I don't know, man. That, he yeah, still have is, like, twenty
2: yards to go if
3: he makes that catch. Yeah. Like there's no there's yeah, guarantee they're going to score. And it was the first yeah, time I they mean... moved the ball since the second drive of the game. It's it's just nuts. It's totally. <laughs>
2: Despicable. Anyway, continue on with the uh, no accountability ability. Uh, no no accountability,
1: accountability,
3: Brandon. There you
1: go. No ability. And, to- uh, it's just it's just like so discouraging. It's it really is because and it specifically when we're talking about like this team not being honest with themselves now they've evaluated themselves, like I think that's such a big issue. Like they now you can say and, and this whole idea too of the window and everything that oh I just hate that so much. Like, oh, this was our window; we had to maximize it, and it didn't work out. That's not what happened. Like, <laughs> right? They made bad moves, regardless of the window. The moves were bad, and it's it wasn't about the focus of the moves that made the moves bad. It was the moves themselves that they made were bad. Like, and and then this this nonsense, like defending Howie Roseman's jack record by saying that you know, oh, there were good players, you know, ahead of. You know, <laughs> Right. I were and just weren't available, couldn't get him. Like, how could you say that as a main point of defense right after you pass on Justin Jefferson? Like, he was there, you could have taken him. DK, DK Metcalf was on the board, you could have taken him. Like, they were they traded up for Dillard. Yes. <laughs> Dillard, yeah, and he's bad, he, you know. We're not encouraged about him, so it's just like it's they, such they, a they could have had Hollywood it's, Brown instead of Dillard. It's so weak, it's, <laughs> it's so weak, yeah, it's, it's really weak from him, and this idea too that like. And again, this is another talking point that we've heard how we say, or have heard how we say, like that it matters so much that they have had GMs hired from their building. Joe <laughs> Douglas, Andrew Berry, who was <laughs> literally here for less than a whole calendar year, right. like, whole, less than three sixty-five days, um, is insane. Larry talking about how they have five future GMs in the building is a quote that I'm sure will not haunt him at all. They're GM all right. factory right. now. We get
3: those guys in the guys field, see if they can play.
1: Well, yeah, it's just – it's so – it's just like it makes me not want to care about the Eagles. It really does because it's like they're not even a team – it's not like they're the Eagles. It's like they're the Howie Roseman show or the – really, it's – I think, honestly, the biggest takeaway from that press conference is that we all probably haven't been hard enough on Jeffrey Lurie. Yes. Yeah. He put himself in the line of fire. And to piggyback off your point where –
2: uh, like all the people in the building that they've surrounded, how he surrounds himself with like really smart people. And Joe Douglas got hired away and Andrew Barry got hired away. You know, who cares about that? Literally nobody like the fans couldn't care less. And Les Bowen had such a great question later in the press conference where he basically said, well, uh, who cares who you have in the building when your, your drafts are terrible and your free agent signings are terrible. Like, does it, does it matter who you have in the building if if that's the case? and uh, uh, Lurie's answer to that was oh, basically to compare, like you said, you know, you got to compare, you got to compare what, what we've, what we've done in the draft to other teams. Uh, and like, you mentioned Seattle for some, like you started to mention Seattle, like you started to like trash Seattle's, whatever, I don't know if he was going draft or free agency or whatever there. And then he kind of stopped and like, he just, he said, you got to compare them to, uh, you know what? everyone's done that already like everyone's there's been tons of people that have written comparison things about like the eagles versus other teams in the draft the eagles versus other things other teams in free agency and there's no question about it that the eagles have been horrible the last three years in both free agency and the draft there's really the, the question by less was like less is less is like the king of like those kinds <laughs> of questions where he just, he basically just makes a statement like remember it like did you, i'm sure you both saw the video of like yep. chris long and Lane Johnson, Lane Johnson had, like, a horrible game in, uh, I think it was, I think it was, like, his third, second or third start Jeez. against the yeah. Chiefs, and Justin Houston just wrecked him in that game, and uh, he, like, imitated Les, and, like, shaking his head the way Les does when he asks a question, and he's been, like, he's, he's miming, like, putting the recorder up in his face, and uh, Lane goes, uh, yeah, Les says, uh, so, uh, you had a bad game, huh? <laughs> 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 and uh, it was just a great impression but that's what that's what les is great at he just tells he just tells you what he thinks and then he's like so what do you think about that
3: <laughs> hey he at least he frames it in a question you know. he did
2: yes
1: <laughs> so dan dan you know you like having the familiarity with howie like and, and the inner workings <laughs> yeah. of the building like like, what's your insight to this? How, how are you feeling about it?
3: First office? off, super overstated that I would have any understanding of the dynamics here. I I met Howie two or three times, talked to him, you know, and emailed a little bit back and forth. I'm not going to profess that I have any understanding the of the calls
1: him. No,
3: nah, like, nothing like that. Um, <laughs> but I just, the way that I see it is that. You know, for Howie, too, I mean, Jeffrey Lurie might as well be a god, to be honest with you, to him. I mean, he gave him his dream job when nobody else would, shepherded him through the franchise, and has given him the, you know, his personnel and in building a team the highest position of power. And, you know, if Howie were to leave the organization, maybe he gets hired as a GM somewhere else, but he's never going to have that same kind of relationship with an owner. I mean, that'll never happen again. So, you better believe that for someone like him, he'll do whatever is necessary to appease Jeffrey, stay in his good graces, and, you know, do what he thinks, you know, be a steward of the franchise for, for him. And, you know, and I think it's just like that's a very pervasive influence that someone can have over you, too. And I think he, like, reveres him, too, as a father figure, anything like that, you know, like a mentor, father figure, somebody who, you know, and Dom will even talk about it in his article about how Jeffrey helped out. Uh, how his wife, when she got caught up in the, uh, in the Madoff or like in in the financial crisis. Right. Like, so I, it just goes so far beyond football. Um, that like a really strong personal connection that you can't, you know, just like even us judging it from the outside and kind of just having it be like really black and white about the job that he's done. It's just, there's so much gray when it comes to the personal aspect of it. And, uh, you know, it's going to frustrate us forever, but as yeah, you know, it's very easy to think that it, you know, just from seeing all this and kinda of having it crystallized that however long Jeffrey Laurie's owner of the Eagles, Howie Roseman's probably going to be your GM or your executive vice president or somebody who's in like, you know, who's his right hand man right there with him. He's like a you know, like the prism through which Jeffrey Laurie's vision rains down upon the organization and how they um, make decisions. And yeah,
2: He's yeah, not I, in the hot seat, is, is, is No, for sure. not at all.
3: Not even close, no. yeah. And you would but, think that he would be hiring a his third coach, being on his fourth coach, but I, <laughs> it, 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 which is completely – it's unprecedented. It's it's just nonsensical, but he's not. And I think you're just going to have this merry-go-round until maybe it pops into Jeffrey Lurie's mind, like, oh, who's the one constant throughout all this you know, and, um, but I don't know, man, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's beyond explanation or, you know, anything that's like a rational analysis for us. So, you know, I mean, we're not in that process. We don't see the process of evaluating the players and, you know, how it all goes down and the things that they want to do that they couldn't do uh, or who has, you know, input that how he follows and, you know, but it's, it's super discouraging. Is really yeah, they're, very,
2: I mean. they're very good shielding that. Like, yeah. And, and, like, so during Howie's press conference, like, uh, a week or two ago, I asked him something to the effect of, like, um, with the assumption, or at least from an outsider perspective, like, we like you're kind of seen as being on the hot seat. Um, and will Jeffrey Lurie allow you to operate the team in sort of a, a long-term way when, you know, when there's examples of head coaches and GMs um you know making short term decisions because they think they're on the hot seat and his answer was like pretty telling cuz he said like I'm not worried about my job <laughs> and uh he, the way he after he said it the way he sort of then framed it was that like he like it's not his decision to make whether he keeps his job or not but i think like the actual first part of that answer where he just said i'm not worried about my job was really the the reality of the situation and and actually is what he meant when he answered that and then he kind of changed his answer mid course but clearly as you mentioned like he is not going anywhere uh, anytime
1: soon no matter how poorly he he continues to perform
3: Maybe he
0: has and an
1: ownership God. equity stake already. Who knows? <laughs> oh, my God. That's, like, the nightmare. I mean, he might as well I mean, in terms of, like, functionally. Like, I, I think you're absolutely right, Dan. And actually, I want to give Howie Roseman credit for something. He's done a very good job of, like, building this relationship, yes. obviously, making himself invulnerable and invincible. <laughs> he, he deserves credit it's for a that Very. Personally. It's a, it's a big-time skill for him, for sure. It is. And, and I think, you know, Howie is – not useless. He is smooth when it comes to this kind of stuff. So, and I think that's manifested itself in the past in terms of really good trades he's made in, in things like like. So, you know, I am not trying to to totally demonize Howie here, which is a, a very uh, strange <laughs> course of action for me because I usually do. But, um, yeah, I, I think though to go back to the negative, it's so hard for me to almost even care about this Eagles coaching search because it's just I feel like this franchise is ultimately spinning its wheel. It's cyclical. As uh, Marty Bornway, uh, I think, used to say, Uh, it's really just like, what level of confidence are you going to have that Harry Roseman is going to be, first of all, to be able to attract the right guy? Because that's been an issue in the past, Ben McAdoo, um, who they they couldn't even hire and had to settle for Doug. And it's like, who are they going to hire now? Like, who are they really going to be able to attract here? And then also, what level of confidence do you have that that guy's gonna last? And it's not gonna be the same thing in a few years down the road, where there's another, another power struggle. Because every time, like, Howie Roseman has been involved here as general manager, there's always been a power struggle. Basically, it's like Larry chose uh, Howie over Andy. Larry chose Howie over Chip ultimately. Larry chose Howie over Doug. Like, how do you come in as the next head coach and feel good about that? Like, like I just I think it's such a dangerous dynamic uh in that sense and i think it's it's i don't think it's good to have a gm who's just the extension of the owner like just have a yes man really um i don't think that's good for the health of the franchise
2: all right so what else can we get to here before we go to break uh from that press? oh
1: new new talking point the final four teams
2: in the 2017 playoffs oh, are man. all bad now <laughs> And by those four teams we're talking about, and he also included Atlanta in that too, who made the Super Bowl the year before. But the final four teams the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl were, of course, the Eagles, the Vikings, the Patriots, and the Jaguars, and they're all bad now. So this point's correct. Like all four of those teams are, are certainly bad now, but like that's not a reason. For you know, your franchise that's not it's not an excuse for your franchise to be bad, <laughs> like right. The oh, Patriots
1: won another Super Bowl <laughs> after that, by the
2: way. <laughs> right? I'll say true, yes. Uh, Jaguars <laughs> have certainly been horrible, uh, since then. Vikings, mm, are certainly in, playoff game last year. they're certainly in better shape oh, than the Eagles really? are right now. Uh, so at that point, was a little bit ridiculous. And then you have um, uh lesser uh gripe here, but he said. Cap space. Actually, this is a very condescending quote. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll you know. Cap room is a one-year phenomenon in this league. Anyone who really understands the cap knows that you can transition away from a difficult cap situation in about twelve months. End quote. First of all, it's not even right. Like in twenty twenty-two, they have. I think there's only one team that has more money committed to that cap than the Eagles, and they, and they're going to have more because there was the report where uh, Alshon Jeffrey and uh, Malik Jackson had their contracts restructured in a way that's going to allow them to June 1st cut them. Uh, And a lot of money from that cut is going to get dumped into 2022. So you're just, they're going to have like the lowest amount of cap space in that year once that happens. And then you have the Wentz contract and so on and so forth. They're going to, as we mentioned earlier, they're going to have to restructure guys like Brandon Graham, maybe Darius Slay. Maybe a couple others. That money's going to get dumped in 2022. See so the idea that their cap rules are going to be over after 2021 is total nonsense. And then I'll let you guys get to this one. But my favorite quote of the press conference was the Nate Sudfeld unstoppable <laughs> quote. <laughs>
1: oh man, He throws the best deep ball on the roster is what he said. He literally said that.
3: Yes. 19 of 23.
1: Four. He said that was what yeah, record did he like, break on that? Was it consecutive
3: completions or something? Or? I think it was completion percentage.
1: Yeah, for like first time starting quarterback, I guess. I almost had an aneurysm listening to that. It was
3: crazy. <laughs> I just like I, – I mean
1: – You know he came in prepared with that. Like, he, yeah. He yeah, knew like, he was going to get asked about. Yes. Yeah. And he, like, they lost that game 6-0. Yeah,
3: it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't be, like, literally didn't matter. And he was – I think my only enduring image of that is him throwing like a really bad pick or something. I don't know if he did, maybe he didn't, but I don't even know if I watched that game. But like you know, it's he just around a lot. He was around all. All. He was
2: he wasn't bad in that game. He didn't embarrass himself in any way, but it was there was certainly nothing scored zero there. points. <laughs> These were <scored> zero <laughs> yeah. points. I he mean, threw for like 130 either 130 something or 140 something yards. It was definitely under 150 on those 23 pass attempts. <laughs> but unstoppable and i think you as susie as said unstoppable i think like you kind of like made a face like oh that was, that was a dumb, yeah. was a dumb yeah. word to use <laughs> but yeah all right and then finally uh uh he was asked uh what makes the eagles an attractive destination for a prospective head coach and one of the first things he mentioned <laughs> was the facilities like it's 2001 yeah but like they, it's funny because they have like that practice bubble that like Chip Kelly famously complained about repeatedly. It's a sixty-yard practice field, so anytime it rains, and especially during training camp, like during the season, if you have like, you know fifty-three man roster, and I guess it used to be ten, either ten or twelve practice squad players. Now the practice squad is even is even bigger. It's hard fitting. It's hard enough filling those guys in there, but when you have a ninety-man training camp roster. And they have to go into that bubble; like it's almost impossible to hold a practice in there, uh, you know. Whereas other teams across the league typically have like a hundred and twenty-yard field.
3: also, like, who talks? It's not college football; like facilities. Every pro team; these are billion-dollar organizations. They all have amazing practice facilities. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not like the SEC over the ACC or something. It's insane to have that.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's not like uh, like uh, Oregon has great facilities. Uh, or you want to go to Oregon or you want to go to like Kent state, you know, like, right. you know it's crazy. You're right. It's like every professional, every professional team should have amazing facilities. Yeah. just I don't
1: know. So not a very encouraging press conference is the takeaway from the Eagles owner. Uh, but pivoting from that to the coaching search after the break, first Jimmy.
2: Yeah. You. I should have had, uh, uh, shoot?
1: I should have oh, had yeah. the prepared for Dan's uh, special, Uh, Guest appearance. uh,
2: I don't have one. Uh, But if you're looking to buy, sell, or rent a house, call Kristen Roach of Roach Realtors. 856-906-9295. Again, 856-906-9295. Actually, normally, this time of year is a... Really a down time in the market, but she's been pretty busy uh, over the last month. So the market is doing well, if you, especially if like you're trying to sell a house. Your your house is going to sell for well above market value. It's a very big-time seller's market at the moment. If you're buying, eh, maybe not so much. But if you're looking to sell a house, for sure. Kristen Roach, 856-906-9295. Brandon, you got your finger up?
1: Do you need, or email? Cause some people don't like the phone call. Oh, yeah, okay. they don't like, they don't well, You can phone. text her at that, too. Okay. Yeah, uh, but her, only, her, but her email.
3: Only also, personal communication here.
2: Kristen with eyes. There's no e's oh. in there. K r i s t i n l roach at gmail dot com.
3: Wow. giving it all away.
1: Dan? Dan. After this.
3: After this. Back after this. Back after
1: yes. this. Back after. This. <laughs>
3: I'll get it. Support
4: for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. And get your child's assessment for only $29. That's SYLVAN29.com.
1: Back here on BGN Radio, episode 164, for a final segment talking about the coaches that the Eagles might hire. Jimmy came up with a system here. Yes, please. Meh. Or G T F O. H. Do you guys want to take the H off? I know some people just like GTFO. That's fine. I, I like the yeah. H. I, I, I think like that, because
3: the then you can do like out of here instead of just out. Yeah, okay.
1: Uh, all right, so you have nine here, Jimmy. Yeah. I want to add a tap in here. I want to add Brian D'Ebel in here too, because that's also – Well, did, are they are they linked to him? John Clark did say they're interested in him okay. and did the same agent as Howie Roseman. So why don't we just start off there? We'll start off with Brian D'Ebel um they're otherwise in alphabetical order so my I'm I'm my OCD obligates me to
2: mention that we're going out of order so we'll go to Brian Dable first and then we'll go back to Todd
1: Bowles and and alphabetical order yeah that's what we're gonna do so Brian Dable's your guy why don't you start off with him well I don't think he's my guy I think in terms of realistic hires I think he is among the most because he is the same the same as Howie Roseman Mm -hmm. and I think when you look at the Eagles. Uh, the attractiveness of their head coaching vacancy, I don't think it ranks up towards the top. And I think having a relationship could end up being very important in making this hire. And I think having that connection with Dable makes sense. I think you can, if you're the Eagles, you can sell yourself on how, you know, Josh Allen improved and you could think, okay, this is the guy um, who might be able to get Carson Wentz right now. I will say that Dable has some ties to the chargers. He actually went to the same high school as Tom Telesco, who's also another Bob Lamont guy. The, and the Chargers obviously have a much better situation with a much more encouraging quarterback. Um, so the Eagles might lose out on him. But I think he might be one of the two most realistic candidates. Um, personally, I would give him a shot, sure. But I think he's also very realistic. What about you guys?
2: And the other thing I'll add, to to what you said is uh, he's on a, he coaches for a team that's still alive in the playoffs and is, in my opinion, the second-best team in the NFL. So the longer they stay alive the more teams might get scared off by uh, waiting around for him and getting somebody else that they also might like. Whereas the Eagles got sort of a slow start on their coaching search, of course. Um, And I think they're also willing to kind of wait it out, whereas other teams might not be so
1: willing.
3: And if you listen so yes. to someone like Joe Banner, he thinks that they already have their guy in mind, and they're you know they're going to hire him. It's it's like a fait accompli or something. So,
1: so are you a yes? Please, I'm a yes, man.
2: please. I like I like Brian Dable and what he did with um, uh, Josh Allen and that uh, Bills offense. Um, and yeah, I, I I think he's a he's
3: a good coach and a good candidate. So
2: I'm a yes, please on on him. Dan,
3: I'm also a yes, please. I think I, I really like his pedigree. Um, you know, before he, he's coached with Bill Belichick on the Pats. Nick Saban in Alabama, and uh, you know he's turned Josh Allen, who was thought of as a joke of a first round pick, yes. to like an MVP. He looks like what <laughs> Carson Wentz should look like, or what he looked like in 2017. And that that offense is legitimately exciting, creative. I mean that thing is a juggernaut. They look a lot like your 2017 Eagles, and um, and yeah, I, I really like you know how he's the way he's worked himself up, the guys he's coached under, and what he's doing right now. Um, you know, and he he basically has, you know it's not like he's like Sean McDermott's an offensive coach who's putting his input in there. I mean, that's that's Brian Dable's offense.
1: Yes, uh, we'll move to we have to we, have to, we have to speed through these a little bit <laughs> because yes. we could be here all night. But um, Todd Bowles, are, that's the number one on the list. But I went alphabetical order, so Todd Bowles. I'm a I'm a GTFO <laughs> on this one, just because I think Todd Bowles is a really good defensive coordinator, and I know I think the Jets situation wasn't all his fault, but. No, that's not the move for me.
2: Yeah, like uh, their uh, their defense was legitimately great this year. And he actually kind of has like the same style as Jim Schwartz in that he wants to stop the run first. They They're first actually in uh, yard uh, rushing attempts, rushing yards, rushing yards per carry, and rushing TDs first in all four of those categories this year defensively. So he's doing a great job as a defensive coordinator. But, yeah, as a head coach, he got a chance. Uh, with the Jets actually lasted four years there, went 10 and six the first year. And then they won, I think it was like 14 games over the next three years, and he got fired. Their roster stunk. They didn't have quarterbacks. So, not totally on him. But uh, if there's a, I am I am sort of against the idea of just a retread in general. And I, I'd love to have Todd Bowles if the Eagles for my defensive coordinator. But uh, as a head coach, I think there are better options. So, I'm GTFOH too. Damn.
3: Uh, I'm actually going to surprise you guys on this one. Okay. I think I'm more uh, the yes, please. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. I I, uh, I kind of lean to. I think he's actually a pretty good candidate as a second go-around type. Um, he's highly respected around the league. You know, he was in the building with the Eagles. The position he was in here was pretty impossible. And uh, you know, that first year with the Jets, they had Ryan Fitzpatrick. They won ten and six. And they're like, you know, we all know that coaching the Jets is an impossible situation. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I like the way his D; he's been really good down in Tampa. And maybe, you know, it seems like he's a good, you know, he, he has really good uh, credentials as like a leader of men, well-respected. Um, I think, you know, I, people aren't going to be excited by him. Um, they'll have their opinion that you guys do. But strangely enough, like when his name comes up, I'm kind of like, you know what? Okay. I'm not like, it, it's not like this this gut visceral, like F no, never kind of thing. I think that he could in the right situation with the right supporting staff around him. I, I think he could, he could be that second go around, co- like that coach who has success on a second try. Um, so that's, that's mine. I don't, it's not like some, yes, please. I want him to be hired, but it's certainly not a GTFO and it's more than a, a meh for me on top.
2: You, you want to lead off with Joe Brady?
3: Sure. Um, Obviously, listen, it's great. I think he's younger than me, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> I will be 33 on uh, Brandon Graham's birthday. We shared the he same is experience.
2: younger than you. He's 31.
3: 31, which is nuts. Um, yeah. He's had one. So, you know, I know his rise has been meteoric that LSU's offense was record setting with tons of pros and, you know, he had his one year here, but it's just too much too soon for me. I'd, you know the young, sexy coach. I really, I don't think that's the way to go right here for this team. I, I think it's too volatile. I don't know what kind of staff he'd put together. Um, you know, I, it's no offense to him. I just, I don't think it's the right move. I don't think, you know, I, I'm a firm GTFO on uh, on Joe Brady.
1: Okay, Brandon. I mean, yes, I think. It is about – I think mean, it is risky, but I think they're in a position where it might be better to take a chance on him early than it is to potentially miss out on him. And uh, I'm also in a spot where if things do blow up, I wouldn't – that's okay. I think that's good for the organization kind of in a way um, to, to take the swing and miss. Um, I really like what Brady did at LSU. I think it's it's really – it's crazy how much they improved. They're really just like this like mm-hmm. really super average college offense and – they were like elite and like incredible. And you look at Justin Jefferson and uh, Jamar chase, you know, he was the wide receivers coach in addition to being the passing game coordinator. And those guys are superstars. So I think there's, there's stuff to like there. It's the same age that Sean McVay was hired by the way, uh, when he did get hired as a head coaching job. So it's not, you know, totally unprecedented here. And you're also seeing like a young guy like Brandon Staley uh, have success in the league. So uh, it's a young man's game. Give the guy a chance. I'm a yes.
2: Yeah. So the thing that's appealing to me about him is just um, the direction of the, the, would indicate the franchise is going in if they hire him
1: because, you know,
2: Laurie did talk about the long-term aspect uh, and not just applied to the roster and and is also applied to the coaching staff. And if you hire a guy like him, you're sort of expecting him to grow into the role if he's that young. Um, It also maybe indicates that, like, I wonder how many uh, of the veterans like, like guys that are like older than him, like on the team. And there are a lot of them, obviously on this team, it's one of the oldest rosters in the NFL. Now how much respect are the the, guys like that going to give a a guy who's younger than them, who's coaching them and trying to discipline them and whatnot. So if they were to hire him, it would sort of signal a a changing over in terms of getting rid of uh, the, the guys that helped you win the Super Bowl. It's over. That run is done. Like you're not winning with that core anymore. So I think it would signal a changing over, Moving from an older roster to a younger one,
3: and it's a whole like leader type of thing too. I mean, he's been in the league what? one year. Sean McVay had at least been in the league, you know, eight nine years as a coach with a track record and a lot of respect from players. Um, so
1: he was on the Saints for two years, for what it's worth. All oh, right, did a
3: quarterback or like oh, quality? I think, assistant. Assistant. I think Lombardi was Just quarterback. Okay.
1: Yeah. Uh, All right, I Ryan. Don't the- sorry. Go ahead. Ryan Day, uh, I, I don't think they can get him. I don't think he's a realistic candidate. I just think there's <laughs> other... He's getting like interviews everywhere. I don't see why this would be the job. Why would he get um, Ryan that? Day. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Feldman, by the way, downplayed that report. He said he heard that it's not true, uh, although John Clark put it out there that the Eagles are interested in Ryan Day. It doesn't make sense logically. Like, Ryan Day... <laughs> he was, like he was here, the by the way, in the chip years. He or, or was
3: tight. Hometown. <laughs> like
1: yeah, they yeah. go back like... Ways. So this guy's going to come work for Howie Roseman having all the power <laughs> right? Like, and leave Ohio State when he's like, there's no really reason for him to leave Ohio State. Yes. No. Yeah. All right. We, got so I'm we, no- we, we can move yeah. on from Ryan Day, I think. I agree.
2: Mike Kafka, Chiefs oh. quarterback coach.
1: Oh, uh, Brandon, your boy. <laughs> My boy. Uh, yeah. Kafka to me is actually, I'm going to say a meh, actually. I'm going to upgrade him to a meh just because, I mean, the optics are insane, right? You like former. Eagles quarterback, who wasn't very good, who became like rose to prominence somewhat with the Chiefs, and now you're going to hire him to replace that guy, like Doug Peterson was. Like it's it's just it's such a weird optic move. Um, I feel like the interest in Kafka, which came out by the way, like first thing from rap sheet after Doug was hired. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, because they wanted to hire him. At least there was interest reportedly, that they wanted to hire as their offensive coordinator. I almost think it's more realistic that they would hire Kafka as a play-calling offensive coordinator for either mm-hmm. a defensive coach right. or a deuce, which I also think could happen. Dan?
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, the optics are bad, too. I think that they almost have I- – I know Jeffrey Laurie's chasing his next Andy Reid, and he had one for a very short period of time with Jug- Doug Peterson, but I really think that they need to – almost divorced themselves from this Andy Reid tree. And, you know, not that it's a bad thing, but, you know, not not that Andy doesn't turn out good coaches, but, I mean, it's it's been eight years now. Like, I think they kind of have to try to forge their own path. And, like, Coffin could be a good coach, but, you know, he's another one who's young. What, how old is he, 33, 34? Um, and you'd be that's skipping it, that, over. That, it, beginning. Right? Yeah, he's young. Yeah, I mean, he I think he was drafted in 2009, 2010, something like that.
2: Yeah, that sounds um, about right, yeah.
3: So you need to be skipping over the enemy for it. I just, again, another one who doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence or, or, or excitement for me for myriad reasons, whether they're fair or not, but, um, but yeah, hard pass GTFO H as we would say.
2: I'm, I'm a hard no on any, on anyone from any, the Andy Reed tree. Just give me, give me something new. <laughs> like, <I don't... laughs>
1: we won the Super Bowl yeah, with
3: an Andy Reed guy. Let's, I don't let's care.
1: I, I, don't, Come I want something let's new. Move on
3: from, you know, <laughs> try something else here.
1: So. I want to, Point out that they actually haven't been connected to be enemy as far as uh, yeah. recording this. Say January thirteenth at like eight fifty, like that hasn't come up anywhere. I mean, it's like a logical one that people throw out there, but yeah. it hasn't. No one's actually said that like they're interested in him. I just thought that was interesting to note. Um Gerard Mayo though, the Eagles are interviewing him uh and that's kind of out of left field because this guy became their the the Patriots inside linebacker's coach just in 2019 so he's just 2 years on the job and obviously that role kind of has more responsibility than a typical linebacker's coach because the Patriots don't have a defensive coordinator um but uh and also I think Mike Garofalo put out a good note or Garofolo as Jimmy wants me to say that uh jed fish who was college roommates with howie roseman you know i think was with the patriots this year and i guess he kind of put gerard mayo on how he's radar uh i i think there's no way they hire him as head coach so i have to be like a gtfo like how could they do that i think they're interviewing him under the guise of a potential like future or maybe as soon as now like defensive coordinator hire
2: he's uh like as you mentioned the, the patriots don't have a defensive coordinator he and uh Steve, so he's the inside linebackers coach. Steve Belichick is their outside linebackers coach. But those two guys are sort of the top assistants under Bill Belichick. So he's kind of like a quasi-defensive coordinator as it is. Uh, Very young. He was drafted in, I think, 2008. He was like the 10th overall pick. Went to a couple Pro Bowls. He was an All-Pro one year. Uh, Was really thought of as like the leader of their defense. I'm kind of like, I'm not GTFOH on him. I'm not like, yes, please on him because it's just he's been a coach for two years. Like if that's too big a jump to yeah. be only coach two years and become a head coach, like he needs a little bit more seasoning, I think. But um, I would say um, I like him more than some of the other guys on this list. Uh, so he's kind of like
3: a meh for me. Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, I guess I just like had a follow principle with me and, and say GTFO because any guy who's only been in the league a couple years, I mean, let's say he's a great player all-time Patriot, you know, and obviously he's got to have some, you know, level of respect from from Belichick. But again, a guy who's been in the league two years removed from playing, like uh, it's, you know, I guess it's like a Brian Flores-y type of of look, but pass. Same (laughs)
2: situation there, by the way, too, where he was, he was a linebacker coach. Like he didn't have the defensive coordinator title either, but sort of was that for them. And he's had, he's had some success. So, I mean, they didn't make the playoffs, but. He's had some success in Miami so far.
1: And success on a team that is rebuilding, yes. like going for yeah. a longer model, so relevant. Um uh, Lincoln Riley is not a realistic name to me, but I, he's obviously I think he's a yes for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
4: for sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, out of Norman, but you can't. So I I don't even think it's worth talking about and as that, a realistic thing.
3: Well, I think it's already been shot down by Damo too like today, I think he was also saying, but like also as, you know, as great an offensive mind as he is, I mean, no offense, he's lost two games a year at Oklahoma, 0-3 in the Bulls, or, you know, in the college football playoffs. Like, forgive me if I don't get overly excited, too, about this, and, you know, whether it's fair or not. Um, he just, to me, would be a guy like I would want to see him in a offensive coordinator role with a defensive head coach first, which obviously he'll never accept, nor should he to right. leave Oklahoma. Um, but I, I guess I'm not as... Giddy or gung ho about him as a head coach, as everybody else. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of whether it's chip vibes or not, just I don't know. The whole thing makes Some you know, so. record as chip so far, yeah. as what chip had when chip came to the Eagles. And like, chip he's only lost, eight games, he's yeah.
2: lost, he's lost, he's lost two games each of his four Cheers. years, and at, he hasn't been
3: the big boys in uh, in the college football playoff, you know, and, and he's had three first, or no, I guess, I guess Baker was the year before him, but he's had you know, Kyler Murray. Jalen Hurts. Oh, uh, sure. He had
2: Baker. He had Baker. So I mean, he got, had Baker uh, so. Yeah, Baker, Kyler, Mary, Jalen Hurts, and then uh, Rattler this year. Rattler this year. So like,
3: you know, yeah.
2: meh. Next. <laughs> but the uh, but like he also developed those guys too. Yeah. So you can yeah, yeah. you can you can say like he had those players and they didn't win enough, but he yeah. also made those guys. In, in theory, he helped make those guys what they are.
3: Yeah, that's true too. I'd also just wonder about the power <laughs> dynamic. Like, oh, this guy has got a great relationship with Howie Roseman. Like, yeah, until they have to work together to pick players and build a team and have control all this. So, like, you know, well, yeah, yeah. You know, but the
2: facilities, man. Right? So,
3: uh, that's right. They got to be better than Oklahoma. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> <laughs> probably
2: not.
1: Yeah, is.
3: probably not. Um, all
1: right. So Robert, that- Ro-
2: Roberts. Uh, how do you say his last name anyway. Sala. Solid? solid
1: Okay. solid, Okay. I'm a yes, uh, please, on him, he, by the way. Well, the Eagles are reportedly interviewing tonight as we're recording oh, this in okay. South Florida. I did not know uh, that. Yeah, he hid out well, in New
3: York after his second interview. He's yeah.
2: known, of course, for his demonstrative uh, actions on the sideline. He's he's very animated. Seems like his players enjoy playing for him. They feed off of his energy. Uh, the 49ers obviously had a phenomenal defense in 2019 that uh, carried them to the Super Bowl, which they lost, of course. Um, you okay, buddy?
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: well, anyway, they had a great defense, carried them to the Super Bowl. Ton of injuries in 2020. Still got his players playing extremely hard for him uh, throughout the season. Uh, they they made do with with what they had, uh, despite really a horrible offense and a. I mean, we all saw what Nick Mullins looked like against the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, the Eagles, if you if you lose to the Eagles, then as a, as a result of your offense, then, you know, it, it, it's pretty hard to overcome. I think the Niners went, what, like six and 10 this year. But, uh, I think the job that he did defensively was really impressive. So, uh, as, as far as a guy that gets his players to play for him, uh, commands the respect of his players and, uh, sort of can own the, 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 the room and can own the locker room. And uh, he's he's a guy for me that I, that I think makes a lot of sense. Of course, you'd have to pair him with uh, uh, an offensive coordinator. And the general thinking is, I forget the guy's name, but uh, nice. he bring he bring over one of his assistants that if would Matt uh, over
3: Matt Lefleur's brother, Mike. Okay,
2: that would uh, in theory install some version of the Kyle Shanahan offense.
3: Yeah, just like Rich Gangarella did. Um, <laughs> right. So uh, I am a. Uh, Somewhere between a mad and a yes, please on Robert Saleh. Uh, as far as like having a dude who could kick anybody's ass, like <laughs> yeah. that's feeling that too, uh, because we would have, you know, top two would be him and Brian Flores, I guess, as far as like, you know, who you'd want in a street fight. Um, but yeah, I, I think again, you get that leader of men vibe from him. Um, you know, that team was decimated by injuries and the offense was terrible and that defense played really hard. And uh you know, he's an animated guy. I, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be upset with hiring him, especially because we know that he would be bringing, you know, an o- an offensive coordinator with him who's highly regarded, whose brother's a head coach. Um, so, so yeah, I'd be fine with that. Um, I'd be fine with Robert Sala. All right, we just got
1: two more. Oh, I'm sorry, Brandon. Uh- Go ahead. Yeah. I'm I'm a yes. Uh and it's weird because I feel like I'm typically not defensive head coach kind of guy because we all know the concern of I don't know if you touched on this while it's gone, but the concern of like you hire a uh you know, a defensive head coach, and then you have the offensive guy, but then he gets hired away if he succeeds to be a head coach. So um I almost wonder if you can kind of stymie that by like bringing in an offensive guy, um, play caller who you kind of make immediately the assistant and coach and you just pay him a lot and try to keep him here. I don't know if that works, but, uh, I like Salah. I like his energy. I mean, that's, that's such a Philly, like, (laughs) like, that's like, especially uh, God willing that fans are allowed back in the stands in the future to see that. I mean, like people love, he will get immediate support for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's not just why I like him. I just think you look at his, his track record. He's worked his way up. Uh, there's a lot of, I think the downside, one of the biggest downsides you look at him is how the, the 49ers defenses were bad early on in his tenure, but they ranked bottom five in spending those years. Like they weren't built to be a good defense. And it took time because they were in a really bad spot. That roster was was trash. Like when Ship when had it, you know, and then Shanahan came in, like uh, they had a lot of work to do in terms of building that thing. And, you know, as they got the right pieces in there, it, it's, you know, been a really good defense. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a yes on Sala, surprisingly. All
2: right. As long as your uh, internet's still working, there, why don't you keep it going with Arthur Smith? Uh,
1: Arthur Smith. I, I am him hired Arthur. by
3: the Falcons, by the way. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, um, I, I don't think the Eagles can hire him because I think he, he's like interviewing basically everywhere, and I don't see why we would pick here. Right. But uh, I, I mean, yes, too. I think it's really interesting how he survived through like four. He's on his fourth <laughs> yes. team now. He came on the Mike Buncheck. Uh, he, he survived Ken Wizenhunt. he survived Mike Malarkey, and now he's here with Vrabel and he's worked his way up. Um, I, I just think that's a real interesting path. And I guess you can talk about how, you know, like it's weird because of the Derrick Henry factor. I mean, he, he revived Ray, Ryan Tannehill's sure, career. And yes. that's, that's kind of big. And I also think that the Henry thing is like, he's going to have, like, that, that I think that could be a credit in his favor. Like he's building around Derrick Henry, this piece he has. I don't think that necessarily... M- m- like means he needs to have Derrick Henry to succeed.
2: Yeah. He's building. Yeah. I mean, he's formulating his offense around who is clearly his best player, but they like, I mean, you just look at the results alone. They're what, they're either second in points and fourth in yards or fourth in points and second in yards. I think there were second in points and fourth in yards, but like, I mean, those are just, those are the results that you pretty much can't ignore. And you mentioned the, the, you know, the main thing is that uh, he's taken Ryan Tannehill and turned him from basically a guy that was, looking like he was going to become a career backup, uh, for the rest of his tenure in the NFL. And he's like a legitimately good starter. Like he's like borderline top 10 starter in the NFL now. So, uh, props to Arthur Smith for getting the best out of him. And, uh, like I always kind of thought us Tennessee of like, as like a team with a good defense, Yeah, uh, but they're, they're awesome. they were sort of, they were the opposite of that. Like their offense is awesome and their defense sucked. So,
3: uh, yeah, that's a, he'd be a yes for for me for sure. Tannehill's like a played like a top five quarterback, you know, not just for people like me who had him in fantasy uh, the last two years, but like you know, just like watching him too. He could do it right. all: running, throw, like, passing, running. Um, yeah, uh, I would go somewhere between a man and a yes on Arthur Smith, um, but again, I you know, I wonder too about like the level of talent on offense and. Uh, like just how good it was, but you can't can't knock the scheme. The fact that he was thought so highly of that four coaches kept him. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I, I'd be all right with that. Um, but he doesn't, I don't know, doesn't excite me as much, I guess, maybe. Or it's like, you know, you just wait for like the gut feel of like a guy and you're like, that's my dude. And uh, I never really thought that way about him, but um, I just don't really.
1: Generic, super generic name, by the way. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's
3: part, he's uh, a FedEx man, you know? He's a. Uh, yeah, well, is it his grandfather or his father? His father. First- father, so, father. Yeah. CEO, first- but, uh, yeah. So.
2: There's a story about him where, like, uh, one of his head coaches along the line, um, I want to say it was Malarkey, like, he had worked with them for years and he. Found out somewhere along the line that he was his father, his father was the CEO of FedEx. And like Arthur Smith just never happened to mention that to anybody, he never like used that to further his career or anything like that. So, all right,
3: knowing that, I'm now a a yes, please, on Arthur Smith.
2: (laughs) All right, you started off with Deuce,
3: and
2: that's our final one.
3: Me, yes, okay, I guess because I tweeted it.
2: Uh, oh, I didn't see that, but
3: (laughs) yes, uh, I thought it was part of your research. Now, poor Deuce, man, he's been here what 11 years 10 11 years
1: um
3: and he just almost feels like almost like a jason kelsey kind of thing like he's like this pillar in the organization who takes the bullets for everybody and they keep trotting him out and like you know he's gotten the endorsements from former players i think again i get the sense from him that he'd be a leader of men and he'd be well respected and he'd be you know you'd be able to put you know you'd be able to have your frank reich and your jim schwartz next to him um does it inspire a lot of confidence because they passed him over five years ago and nobody else has wanted to hire him away for a high, more higher profile job? Yeah. And it would seem like he's the kind of guy they would settle on after everybody else rejects them. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be a complete GTFOH on Deuce because I'm almost just like F it at this point. Let's see what he's got. And if it doesn't work out, he'll be out of here in X number of years anyway. And we're back in the same position with this train wreck. So,
1: Bryn? I think Deuce and Debo are the most likely hires for this team. And Dan hit the nail on the head in terms of I just think like they're going to almost have to hire him. And I don't think that's fair to Deuce. I'm not trying to say like he should only be hired because he's just here and they're going to have to. I think he deserves a head coaching job. I really do. I think when you look at Deuce and his personality, just seeing him in interviews, like he has a head coach temperament. And I just I I look at that guy and I'm like, wow, because we because we interview him, you know, Uh, during the offseason, and especially, you know, he was running the team for a little bit this year. And I think that's so interesting for the Eagles to have that unique insight to how he was, like, he was running the show. Right, when Doug had COVID, yeah. Doug had COVID and was away. So I think that's such a unique perspective to have. And, yeah, you saw players, like, unprompted players immediately, like, you know, Malcolm Jenkins, who isn't even on the Eagles, by the way. (laughs) Right. Like, this whole love letter about him. Torrey Smith stood up for him. Um, Rodney McLeod stood up for him. Brian Dawkins, the GOAT, stood up for him. Like that's – and obviously, you know, former
2: team. These, defens- these are defensive players too. They're not even like guys who are, you know, on the right. offense.
1: I think it's meaningful and I think it's – it's look, it's another guy that like the Eagles would really have control over in terms of like, you know, doing what they want to do. and And I just think it's realistic. I think it's about hiring a strong staff around him. Like I think you're, I think you're promoting Deuce to head coach, but he's overseeing everything. He's not the play caller all of a sudden. I think you're bringing in like a Graham Harrell or a Mike Kafka still, and and then obviously hiring you know a strong defensive coach as well. So I'm a yes on Deuce. Uh, I've been reluctant about like Deuce to off the coordinator before because I just don't know you know the play calling. Like he hasn't done it before. I don't know about that side, but as a like a leader of men overseer kind of person, I'm a yes.
2: Yeah, I'm somewhere between yes and meh on do, on do, on do, on But as you mentioned, like you got to, you got to surround him with a play calling uh, offensive coordinator and you're also going to, you know, that, that job becomes appealing too to an offensive coordinator that can come in and kind of run his offense. And uh, same thing with a defensive coordinator as well. Uh, famously, I guess other coaches around the league, you'd think of like uh, like a Mike Tomlin who is sort of in that role. Uh, with the Steelers, where he can just kind of be the quote-unquote CEO of the team, sort of run the team and, and control the locker room and so on and so forth. So I think Deuce uh, has proven, you know, as you mentioned, with all these uh, big-name players who respect him
1: and think that he deserves the opportunity is, is enough for me to, to kind of believe the same. I think he runs a tight ship, too, from what I've heard. So That's uh, I think that yeah. would be good. Like I, I don't want to say that um, like Doug's strength, in part, players really like that, yes. too. And- him and he kind of let players like do like he didn't have to overmanage them like he wasn't a, a total hard butt. uh you know, hard butt. Tried to... <laughs> yeah <laughs> didn't want to curse here but um i think that like in the case of carson wentz like a player like that could use some more tough love so maybe there could be a little bit more tough love here and i think maybe deuce could help instill that but um but that's all we got we're running long here uh yeah, any final? Yeah, thoughts?
3: final thought is Do each one of you have like a dark horse coaching candidate who hasn't been brought up that you think, man, I know Luke Fickle's name's been thrown out there, but is there anybody who you guys see around the league that you're like, that guy might be interesting if you had to do one wild card, one, like this is my guy kind of thing.
2: Uh, Zoidberg had a good joke about Fickle where he said, um, uh, like a headline would be like, Fickle franchise hires Fickle. (laughs) (laughs) Summerwin.
1: I don't have a, a dark horse. I don't think. Um, I don't. Brandon, you? Um, I'm looking at the list here of the odds. Um, man, I would. I would like Jim Caldwell as like an offensive coordinator, maybe, but I don't know as a head coach. Um, I'm looking at the list here of all the odds to maybe a Brandon Staley. Um, I kind of figured think that's kind of like
3: first name by. First. Him. I, th- I figured. Yeah. I figured he would get some run. Mine is uh, Byron Leftwich, actually. Um, okay. Kinda- Interested 40, you know, he's in that range. I think he's 40, 41, former player, quarterback kind of thing, too, if you're looking for. And, you know, I know he's got Tom Brady this year, but that offense last year, even though, like, Jameis was a disaster, that offense was pretty explosive last year. He seems to be super well-respected. Um, and, like, you know, Tom, it seems like he and Tom have gotten along and that Tom respects him, too. So, um, Byron Leftwood is kind of like the one who's kind of stuck out to me a little bit as someone who I at least think should get a um, an interview.
1: Out of left field, you could say. Uh, any any other final thoughts? We're all good here. Yeah, it's been too long already, right? You know, no, just, <laughs> no,
3: I appreciate you guys uh, letting me come on. Uh, you know, I still abandoned oh, my once a year article. I was thinking of um, I was thinking of taking up uh, Jeffrey Laurie on his word and uh, researching every team's draft record and seeing <laughs> where the Eagles stack up. Um, but. Uh, whoa. <laughs> Whoa, wow. Uh, dude, that's graphic.
2: I swear Sorry. to god I did not do this no, I thought you were I thought you were holding the cat. What's the cat's name? No, it's, <laughs> Lily. <laughs> it's
3: Lily. Lily. Lily's like an OnlyFans in here for a second. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, I really appreciate you guys letting me on. It's been have listening to the podcast and hearing, you know, uh about BGN radio being uh, sponsored by Ricky Fellen <laughs> and uh pretty crazy i was thinking about it. i guess we've all known each other what like nine eight <laughs> nine years now, too. so yeah going uh, on 10 going on 10 uh, i look forward to uh, sponsoring the podcast again next year and uh, hopefully the eagles can be good and people will want to like buy more beef jerky or other stuff so uh yeah that's it for me and uh you know i accept your offer to come back on the podcast anytime
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh jimmy what about you you're good i'm good yes all right, this has been BGN Radio, episode 164. Follow me on Twitter, at Brandon Gowton. Follow Jimmy Kempsky uh, on Twitter, at Jimmy Kemski. Dan, do you want me to give out your Twitter or no?
3: Yeah, it's at snacks only. That's snacks with an X. Don't follow me. No, I'm just kidding. You can follow me. follow
1: Dan. Uh, go to com. Use discount code BGN15 for 15% off your order. We'll have plenty more Eagles coverage coming your way, especially if they make a higher. And if not, we'll, we'll be here. Emergency pod, so subscribe. Don't miss an episode, and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody.
3: Thanks for everything.
1: P-G-N.
0: What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prof G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.